welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, it is good friend of the program, Danny LaRue. He's here to talk about a West in disarray and particularly one of the teams in the Western Conference that feels, I would say, significantly in disarray after <laughs> the quarter mark of the season. Uh, we're going to talk about the Portland Trail Blazers. They fired Neil Olshay following an investigation into his workplace and the workplace culture that he cultivated. Uh, they have the worst defense in the NBA right now. And Damian Lillard does not really seem himself. It's kind of a mess in Portland. So we're going to go into that. And then we're going to talk about the Western Conference in general, because while Portland has been a mess, they're also in no way, shape or form out of the Western Conference race, because there are exactly four teams that have a winning record in the Western Conference. So, Danny, how you doing, man? It's good to have Danny LaRue on the show. Good to be here, my friend. And it is a a challenging time for the Blazers in particular. And it's a reminder, you know, it, it, you and I have had conversations a lot over the years. And I think that the Blazers' decision-making process with Neil O'Shea is a reminder of some of the things that teams can get wrong. And that's not to say that every move that O'Shea has made recently is a bad one, but I think the place to start is something you and I have talked about a fair amount, which is if when when a team has to fire or and hire a new coach, that is a decision point that is important for the franchise. And I think of this as more like an ownership decision, which is, okay, do we want the person who is currently in charge to do that? Because the Something happened. Why you need a new coach? It could be because they retired or something. But typically, it's you've made the decision to fire them, and so it's do you want that person to be hired? So now Olshay hires Chauncey Billups. We still have to see how that's going to work out, but by trusting him to make that decision and then almost immediately firing him, you put Olshay's replacement in a really awkward, challenging spot. Yeah, and look, let's let's talk about the circumstances behind Neil Olshay's firing. So. The Portland Trailblazers conduct an investigation into the workplace that he has cultivated. Look, like, I'm sure I'm not alone on this. Like, I'm sure you've heard that Neil Olshay can be a uh, difficult person to be around at times. Let, let's let's say that. Like, that he uh, will shout and yell. Like, I've never, up until recently, let's say, I've never heard anything about, like, you know, disaster level workplace that deserves firing but then you hear stories uh like for instance dan dickow uh, on his podcast came out and discussed his experiences with neil olshay and it, it just makes you understand and realize the level of it just seemed like vindictiveness and like like playing games that Olshay would kind of employ in order to get his way. And uh, it, it just doesn't seem like a particularly positive place to work. And it, it's hard for me to feel bad for guys who get fired for being an asshole. Like at the end of the day, that's kind of <laughs> what it comes down to. Like uh, well, you listen. And that ties in with the stuff that the reporting that's been coming out about the uh, professional association of general managers. It's like, well, if you can get fired for cause, I would say that the guideline should be don't do anything that could lead to that happening. You know, like that is the possibility. Yeah, and like don't be a fucking asshole. Like it's not hard. I mean, like just run your organization. Look, like I understand sometimes you have to have a firm hand. I understand that sometimes people aren't going to agree with your decisions. 
but just treat people with respect. Like, that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Absolutely. And creating a positive work environment is, is a part of it. And also not facilitating a toxic one. I mean, you could think those are yeah. positive and negative are, are different parts of this equation, but I think they're both exceedingly important. But now whoever ends up getting the reins of this franchise is going to face some real challenges. Not only do you have a, a head coach and generally speaking, ownership is not super willing to pay multiple coaches for a long period of time. Hey, Mc, money McNair, you're running into the same problem right now. But also the Blazers are in this exceedingly challenging situation from a personnel perspective. And what I mean by that is the Blazers are far from the worst roster in the league. I mean, they have they have no. Damian Lillard, who is having a rough year, but is an incredible talent. They have CJ and Powell. Like they have a, I would say they have a, not a high playoff caliber roster, but a playoff caliber roster. The challenge is that it is also an expensive roster with some important players hitting free agency soon. So where they go from here how much latitude the next general manager has. But also, over the years, the, you know, the, there are a lot of audience of one questions, and typically we refer to that as ownership. It's like, okay, does ownership really want to pay this player? But in many ways, this is also a Damian Lillard audience of one question of what does he want for the rest of his career? What does he want for the next two to three years? Right. Because if he wants to stay in Portland, more power to him. But if he wants to be somewhere else, well, then that's something that the new the new decision maker is going to have to make happen yeah and i give damian lillard credit insofar as he has been pretty public in terms of how he's feeling like this summer there were whispers and he seemed like he was you know a little bit more open maybe and then when the season started he was like no look there was a time in the summer where i was you know thinking about it, but now I'm fully committed, right? So as long as he stays fully committed, you keep Damian Lillard because the odds of you finding a player like Damian Lillard again are exceedingly low. So look, like you you mentioned the idea of like a coach firing or a coach firing and then the general manager hiring a coach. I, I bring it back to that just insofar as like, I get that the Blazers maybe felt like they didn't, need to fire Neil Olshay and that he could be the long-term answer. Uh, So you let him make the decision to hire Chauncey Billups. By the way, the hiring of Chauncey Billups was extremely fraught uh, due to allegations in Chauncey Billups' past of, uh, I I guess that they had to investigate a sexual assault situation. Uh, Memory serves at the very least. And uh, then Neil Olshay decided to get very angry and frustrated during the press conference about very rightfully asked questions regarding their process for investigating those claims uh, that happened back when Chauncey Billups, I believe, played for the Boston Celtics. Is that correctly? Is that correct? I believe so. That, as far yeah. as far as I recall, that's right. So all of that happens, and after you decide to let Neil Olshay make the Chauncey Billups hire. You decide then that you're going to investigate him for this toxic workplace. There's no way that this is new information for the Blazers that Neil O'Shea was running a workplace that might be seen by some as toxic, right? I mean, like, based on what Dan Dickow was saying, it certainly doesn't appear to be so. It's no. not like that was. It's not like those. The the what he discussed was anything recent, anything that that could have that was hiding that was hiding in plain sight. It was it was just there? 
So it, it's just crazy to me. The timing of all of this is just insane to me. I, I don't understand why they didn't fire him at the end of last season. It seemed like the time. To be honest, it seemed like time to make a change. I said it on the podcast at the time that it seemed like time to make a change. Then he goes through the start of the offseason. I don't, I mean, you remember this as well as I do. They did nothing. Like they signed, I think, Tony Snell. They signed Cody Zeller. They signed Ben McLemore, all to minimum level deals. And you're just sitting there if you're a Blazers fan and if you're another team in the West, you're like, are they really going to sit here and squander Damian Lillard's prime again? Like you're not going to, it was clear after last season, you need to make a move and you're just not making a move. You're not doing anything. They eventually go out and make the move for Larry Nance, which I liked, like, I think Larry Nance is a really good player. I I think Larry, Larry Nance makes a lot of sense for this team, but like Larry Nance ain't fixing the structural issues on this roster at the end of the day. And uh, this is where I think we can bring it to what do we think is happening on the court? Because we're now at a point where both Terry Stotts and Chauncey Billups have had significant problems getting this roster to defend at a level that is commensurate with a potential contender. And it's, I understand that you go out and you make the Nance move. Nance is an exceptional defender. I think he's absolutely unbelievable on that end. But I don't think that it solves the core issue of perimeter defense and of having long guys who can rotate and who are switchable and can do different things. Because Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, look, I think Dame has improved a lot defensively over the years. Like, I think he gets a bad rap a little bit for his defensive game because of the way his career started. But he's not switchable, necessarily. C.J. McCollum, not switchable. The guy they went out and traded two first-round picks for, Robert Covington, an exceptional help defender, not a switchable defender. Like, guards can cook him in space, and they've always been able to cook him a little bit in space. Yusuf Nurkic, not a switchable defender. So, Norman Powell, also somewhat switchable, but also like six foot three. He has really long arms and is strong. But like switchable one through three, not switchable onto the bigger wings in where you feel confident that he's going to be able to do some damage on them. So this roster has just always been significantly flawed on the defensive end. And uh, I don't know how you fix that without real substantial structural changes, right? I mean, you don't. So not even counting this year when, as you mentioned, the Blazers are last in defensive rating, filtering out garbage time. I use cleaning the glass for that. In the last four out of the last six years, they've been 20th or worse. And that that one year when they were seventh, I believe that was the year they made the Western Conference Finals. And then the other year they were 16th. So it's not like they were setting the world aflame with great defense in the two anomalous years. And I'm lower on Willard's defense than it appears that you are. I think that it is that he has capability to be better, and there are times that he is, but there are also just some some games where he is ghastly. And the other real problem for the Blazers, you brought up the lack of scheme versatility switching. They also don't really have that point of attack defender. So most yep. teams now, if yeah. you have a star who's point guard sized, you probably don't want that player defending the other team's point guard because it's just too much work. You know, you don't. You want to do something else. Well, okay, you're going to do that. 
Then you're going to give that to Norm Powell. You're going to give that to CJ. You're going to give that to Anthony Simons, who is, who is I would say, the worst on defense of those four. Yeah, like, yes. it, it's, a, it's a real challenge. And so Olshay hasn't put that part of it in, in. And, I mean, you brought up the scheme for stability. And another part of that that I thought has been so telling for the Blazers is they brought in Robert Covington, and Robert Covington is a wonderful team defender. He can move yeah. off of he can move off of his guy, and he can do he can do other things. But you need to have that lead defender so that you can so that Covington's not going to do that. And when you throw Covington on the other team's best player, he's not going to do a great job. That's not what he has been. That's not what he has done best in his yeah. career. And so, okay, that you, you the whole the, the like the whole concept of their defense has never really made sense, and. I think you could make an argument that, to some extent, the Blazers should be thrilled offensively this year. They're third overall in offense, despite Lillard yeah. and CJ McCollum being below their below their standards. But that gets into what I think is the most important question. You know, I brought up the audience of one, which is Damian Lillard, which is, yeah, I would say you know their their best players can play better than they have so far, and that's a part of why the Blazers are eleven and thirteen and have a blow are below water in terms of net rating, but. The standard here is extremely important. Does Damon Lillard want to be a 500 team? Does he want to even be a 45 one team? If he's happy with that for the rest of his career, being with the Blazers is that, and being with the Blazers is a reasonable path for that for the next three to four years. You know, the the length of his current extension, and theoretically, this coming off season, he could extend off that if both sides want it. But if he wants something else, if he wants something more, a team that is relevant in the title picture. And he can want whatever he wants. That's 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 his own prerogative. That's not going to happen in Portland. And I've been saying that since they made the conference finals, because that that team was not one of the two best teams. I don't think they were one of the four best teams in the Western Conference that year. And so, if he wants to be in that mix, it's not going to be in Portland. So, I, I guess that like what I'm trying to figure out is. If you're Portland, you're 11 and 13 right now. There have been games where you've just been flat out embarrassed. Like last night against the Celtics, they got just the brakes absolutely beaten off of them. Peyton Pritchard, a local kid from Portland, was splashing threes at the end of the game. <laughs> like it was, it was hideous. So do you feel. Part of me wants to like look at this. Like if I'm a Blazers fan right now and I'm trying to come up with the most positive rose-colored view of this. You're 11 and 13 right now. The West is a mess, which we're going to talk about momentarily here. There're four teams above 500. You're I think 9th or 10th right now in the conference. Damian Lillard has been terrible so far. By his standard, he has not been good. CJ McCollum hasn't really gotten it going. Like, there have been games where CJ has been great. There have been games where he's not been very good. Do you think that you can just get those guys going and this will turn for you and you can still be a top four seed? Like, it's hard for me to feel that optimism given how disastrous the defensive end has looked thus far. But I'm trying to figure out, if you're Portland here, is there a chance that you just ride this out as opposed to making significant structural changes? Yes, I think there is, and I think it would be a mistake. But the as you brought it, as you brought it up, the path 
forward of kind of maintaining the course is there. I mean, the Blazers have talent there. This is, you know, like right now, CJ and Lillard are both around 52, 53% true shooting. That's not only well below league average, that's well below their their own standards. They're still third in offense. And Powell and Nurkic have been efficient, but also, and and they've had some steps forward from some of the bench guys. Um, I've liked what Nasir Little has done this year, for example. Yeah. So if you you have enough that if the team stays modestly healthy, and they actually have some capable depth in guys like you know I, I think Snell, well he he can't really give them less than he has before than he has so far, but you can do that. And then Nance, I, I, I like I like some of what, the way the defense looks when he's on the floor, and, and Nurkic when he's healthy. I mean they've been they've been better overall when he's been available. Yeah. Cody Zeller but, is not a disaster backup center. Exactly. So they're. There are ways for this team to tread water and keep and, and and stay afloat like that. If 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 that is satisfactory, then they could do it. And the Western Conference is opening up a little bit for them. I mean, you have as you mentioned, only four teams above five hundred, and one of those teams, their best player is out for a period of time. We do, we still don't have a firm timetable there. So yeah, if if you want to get into the possibly the four seed and. Maybe win your first round series, and and that you know, and if if that's how they're defining success, great. I mean that that looks like a pretty good year. But it's first of all the main reason why that would be happening, why they'd reach that level, would be because some teams are just below their standards. It wouldn't be because okay, they're a fifty win, they're they're a surprise fifty win team, and they're getting in the mix. You know, like that that sort of a circumstance. It wouldn't really be that. It would be just. We're slightly better than all these other teams that are really struggling right now, and we expect that they will get better with the passage of time. So, yeah. But here's the other challenge, and I, I mean, this is what makes the Blazers' circumstance so fraught, so challenging to me. Like, if I were theoretically, you know, if if I, if, they, if I was trying to get that job, which I'm not, if they want offers to me, we could have a discussion. But it's okay. Let's say you want to retool. You want to go in a different direction. And let's throw, let's say Lillard is separate that, like, just for now, just for the sake of it. Okay, now you want to, you want to do something different. CJ McCollum owed a lot of money, you know, basically $34 million each of the next two years after this season. And he's in his yep. 30s. Robert Covington, pending unrestricted free agent. Nurkic, pending unrestricted free agent. Larry Nance, reasonable contract, but not like a crazy value. And they just gave Norm Powell. I think Norm Powell's contract is looking totally fine. But so what does, you know, like this is something something that I think is such an important thing to consider in these circumstances, which is what does the sell-off look like? Are they getting assets for these players? And if so, how do th- how does what they get for that help fuel the next great Blazers team? Because... They have enough talent that actually tearing it down might be somewhat difficult. Yeah, I agree with that. And the obvious like elephant in the room here is the idea of Ben Simmons, right? This is the worst defense in the league. Ben Simmons is one of the best defensive players in the NBA. CJ McCollum makes a modicum of sense on the Sixers. But I think he makes less sense than he did at the start of the season due to the emergence of Tyrese Maxey throughout the course of the year. I think that it would cost Portland a substantial number of assets 
in addition to C.J. McCollum to get Ben Simmons. Would you agree with that? Like, I, I don't think Daryl Morey would take, like, C.J. McCollum in a first-round pick for Ben Simmons. Like, I think it would cost C.J. McCollum, like, multiple draft picks, multiple pick swaps, and, like, a, a maybe even, like, another thing for Daryl to accept that, given what his standard has been for accepting a Ben Simmons trade thus far, not necessarily based on what I think fair value is for Ben Simmons. I think that's reasonable, especially when you consider the age part of this equation, that CJ, this is his age 30 season, and Simmons is significantly younger than that. And so if the idea being that future years might be worse, and not necessarily worse than CJ has been so far, but just, you know, the expectation is that he is prime and then post-prime. And so having CJ on on the Sixers would help them more than Ben Simmons has so far this year, to be sure. But... Maury is, I don't think he's negotiating this as just like, will this make the Sixers better? It's, we only have one opportunity to to potentially trade Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid is an important part of our our present and our future, so what can we do there? So I I think that you're right on the substance, and it's possible that if, if somebody like Nasir Little could end up being an important part of that equation just because he could help out the Sixers' depth. And he's not, you know, I don't think he's going to be like a starting closing five guy for the Sixers in the near term, but he can help. And it would also be interesting because, like, theoretically, if they wanted to go that direction, Norm Powell would help this iteration of the Sixers too. But I, I struggle with the idea, you know, I, I, the... To, to use a kind of an abstract analogy, money is about the double coincidence of wants, which is like in a barter system, one of the challenges is that you have to each assess how much the other person's things are worth. And so that's why you have money is so that you can sell something and then you can use money to exchange for something else. And that's the hard part here is just can these two sides in a theoretical trade agree on what these two principal players are worth for each other? Yeah, and I I don't know that that will happen. Like I'm trying to find the landing spot for CJ if it's not Philadelphia. If they do decide to make a move there, it's kind of tricky to be honest. Like I don't know that there is a single spot where I'm like, oh my god, like this is the move. Like Miami doesn't really have the matching contracts to make a deal like that work. I mean, like. The one that I've been, like, trying to sneaky figure out is, like, is there a chance that, like, you could see Washington do something like that? Like, maybe they decide that they want to make a move and, you know, that they have this Kyle Kuzma deal. They have Contavious Caldwell-Pope. They have uh, the contracts that you can match and then a few interesting assets. And maybe they decide they want to try and make a run toward, like, the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not saying that would be, like, a rational move on Washington's part in terms of what we think. I'm saying, like, is there a chance that Washington could think, hey, you know, maybe we look at C.J. McCollum as a guy that makes sense for us? That's a possibility. Another one that I've been thinking about a little bit, especially when they've exceeded expectations so far, is Cleveland. Where? Yeah, I've been thinking about that, too. That's interesting. Because... because then you pair him with Garland. It's a mitigation possibility with Sexton, who may or may not theoretically be included in that trade. I think that the Blazers would be interested just because he's a player that you can have match rights on, and I think those match rights would be useful for Colin Sexton coming off of this injury. 
but and and Rubio would be salary ballast there. I mean, depending on how you want to structure it, you could even this could be the finally the opportunity for Kevin Love to return home. The you know grew up in Lake Oswego, but I again it's hard to figure out kind of get all the moving pieces right there. I think there is there is kind of a concept of it. Another one that I've wondered about, but I also think has some of these same logistical challenges is Indiana, where having another capable creator. Would I think CJ's meaningfully better than Karis LeVert would get there, but A, that move is probably going to make the Pacers more expensive, and B, like we talked about the difficulty of a Simmons-McCollum swap, figuring out who in the world makes sense on the Pacers for this Blazers team is in some ways even more challenging. Yeah, if I'm the Pacers, I'm not going out and acquiring like a 30s shot-creating guard. Like I'm trying to maybe make some moves toward the future. But I, I don't know that Rick Carlisle and the people in charge there tend to think that way. Uh, the Cleveland one is interesting because you can essentially do like Ricky Rubio, Chetty Osman, and Colin Sexton for CJ McCollum. And that seems non-disastrous to me. Like that, that seems like a deal that you can wrap your head around making sense. Like, Ricky Rubio playing. Ricky Rubio's been really good this year. His contract being an expiring deal, it does set you up pretty well for the future. Colin Sexton, obviously, like a pretty real asset. Like, I, I'm higher on Colin than what I think most people are. Uh, has a chance, I think, to be like a perpetual 20 to 25 point per game scorer. And then Chetty Osman's just kind of a guy. Like, I think he's a back end of the rotation guy he's, on a winning team. He's having a good year, but that, you know, the most likely outcome is that he ends up being, you know, like a, a rotation player who doesn't start. Yeah, I mean, look, like Chetty right now is making shots like at a pretty substantial clip. I know he's shooting like, what, 40, 41, something like that from three. Uh, like he's part of it is that he's just making threes at a high volume for the first time in his career. If you think that's going to continue, then no, you shouldn't necessarily look to involve him in a deal like this. But um, we have a long sample of Chetty being a bit inconsistent from distance, so we will see how long that lasts. I uh, I don't know that that's a deal that is interesting to me. To be honest, is Cleveland bringing CJ McCollum home? Uh, and, and not even having to involve Kevin Love if you're the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, that's a that's actually a sensible move, I think, across the board. Um, I don't think they're going to do that though. Like, I think the move the moves are almost certainly going to be like, okay, we need to shake up the starting lineup. Let's move like Robert Covington's expiring deal or Yusuf Nurkic's expiring deal. I, I don't know where to move Nurkic. Like that that's kind of what I'm struggling with. Like I've been looking. A, the center position is just loaded kind of across the NBA. Most teams have at least a guy that they think can be league average or at least is league average as a starter. And I think you're a little bit higher on Nurkic than I am, if I remember correctly. Right, Danny? Probably a little bit, but not dramatically so. Yeah, and I I just like I think that like if Toronto wants to try and make a run toward the playoffs – Maybe like that's a spot that could make sense, but again, like I don't know what they would be willing to send back. Is there is there a landing spot for Nurkic that you can like point to and you're like that that's the one? Because I have one in my back pocket that is at least ten percent interesting, but I'd like to hear yours first. The first thought that I had is Charlotte. I mean, yeah, I was very 
frustrated that they ended up, you know, with having a year where they had real cap space and walking out with Mason Plumley because he's just not good enough. And they're they're dealing right now with a bunch of guys in the protocols, so they're they have they have other problems at the plate. And James Borrego, I think last year justifiably received a lot of credit for kind of making it work defensively. You throw, I would say throwing a lot of junk out there, and I mean that in a positive way for him because they just didn't have a lot of defensive talent. And yeah. so Nurkic, sort of similar in a way to what we've said before with the Blazers, is that it, it might be a, a low ceiling thing, but at least it could raise their defensive floor, and he could be a useful role man for them, which which could be which could be good for them. The cha- One of the challenges, and this is going to be true of any potential Nurkic trade, is he's a pending unrestricted free agent. Maybe you could come to some sort of un- either whether we, it's a an actual extension or an understanding of what he's looking for in the off season. Those yeah. sorts of things happen all the time, including I would guess with the Blazers with Norm Powell back when they acquired him in that trade for Gary Trent. You know, and- I'll be honest. Like I don't know that I would see Nurkic as anything else other than a rental if I was one of these teams. But so then for the Blazer it, it, for the Blazers then it gets challenging because what team is going to give you anything of value for a rental center? Like that's so it's with, just with Charlotte like is there a chance that you can do something like Mason Plumley because one thing that Chauncey Billups has stated is like our bench is giving us more energy than our starters. It's a significant problem. Mason Plumley has been with guys like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum before. He's played with them. It's gone pretty well. You could maybe make a case that Mason Plumley. I don't want to say he'd be an upgrade on Yusuf Nurkic because I don't think he would be, but that just the change of the energy in the starting lineup maybe could not be as big of a drop-off as what you would think between the two of those guys. And then you go out and you get something like, I don't know, like I don't think that the Hornets are moving Kai Jones in that deal for Nurkic, but like, could you get Nick Richards? Could you get, uh, you know, Jalen McDaniels in that deal? Something like that. Jalen McDaniels has been like pretty okay uh, in the minutes I've seen him play. Maybe it's maybe it's something like that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's if it, and this is the idea of basically what would a sell off look like, and and we could run into similar problems with Robert Covington. Not that he is a bad player, but who is going to bend over backwards for him in the way that both. Neil O'Shea and Daryl Morey have in the past. Like he's a, yeah. he's a very talented player, and and forwards are more valuable than centers. You know, we're getting into the, into that conversation, but it's it's hard. Like I mean, and part of this is the is also pending free agency can be a, a selling point because it's like, okay, we could we could figure out it's 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 a future. You can think, can think about that, but also it's you know the. Covington and Nurkic, I would say, are two of the players with murkier valuation estimates. So do you want to get into the circumstance of giving up this player, having them help you, and then paying them a lot for what are probably post-prime years? Maybe. I mean, if they're, if it's if that could be a good problem for you to have if if they did so well that you want to retain them. But, you know, Covington, that next year will be his age 32 season. For Nurkic, he'll be 28. But you think about all the injuries that he's had. It's a challenge. The, the one that was in my back pocket for Nurkic was the Lakers. He's a clutch client. Mm-hmm. Uh, they obviously could potentially use a center to try and ease the burden on Anthony Davis. I know that they've said recently that Anthony Davis is going to play a little bit more center moving forward, but I think that 
they would probably prefer not to do that. They have that Kendrick Nunn $5 million deal that uh, becomes tradable on December 15th. I obviously don't think they would give up Talon Horton Tucker for Yusuf Nurkic necessarily on an expiring deal, but you know, could you do something like Kendrick Nunn, Dwight Howard, and like a pick or something like that? Or it'd have to be like you'd have to throw in a third guy as well. Yeah, the, uh, the Lakers have so little salary ballast. It's it's it's, it's hard. I'm, it's one of the underrated parts of their story is that they just when you have three guys making over thirty five million and then one guy making between basically five and thirty five, which is Taylor Horton Tucker. Hard to yeah. make trades work. They're more of a buyout destination than a trade team. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, unless they want to move Tucker, um, which I, I don't know that they should necessarily unless they're getting back someone who's like really, really interesting. Um, yeah, and then Covington is hard. Co- Covington, I think, is uh, probably the easiest to move in many respects just because he is a true wing that is pretty solid defensively. Like if you're... Like, I would be really interested to see him in Miami, to be honest. Oh, boy. Like, if you could make that work. Like, that would be really fun. But again, Miami's another one of these teams that just doesn't really have, like, the salary matching to make a move like that make sense. Um, it, it's hard for me to see how that would work. Like, I've been trying to find... I've been trying to find a Covington spot. And again, like you said, because so many of these teams have... Uh, you know, trickier, let's say, salary cap situations. It's a little bit difficult to like really find the team. Like I, I was thinking, like I wonder if the Knicks, given how much defensive difficulty they've had at times this year, would have some interest. I was trying to figure out a way to. So something that I know or at least there's pretty clear indicators out there that Phoenix would like to offload some of their 22-23 salary. If they could do something involving Crowder and Covington, where they they potentially lose... They basically... They would have the ability to retain Covington if everything goes super-duper well, but could could also move in a different direction. That would be really interesting. You know, I, I, I get that. I don't really love that for Phoenix. Because I understand the idea of the long-term value being really important for them. But Crowder and his on-ball, he's a lot better on-ball than what Robert Covington is in the playoffs. And I feel like he's a much more valuable playoff player because of that. Because they're both a bit streaky in terms of being three-point shooters. I just wonder if Robert Covington would be uh, a bit of a liability for them in the playoffs in a way that Crowder isn't. But for Portland, I think that would actually make some sense, given what Chauncey Billups was saying last night about, like, we need to change the energy in the starting lineup. I mean, infusing Jay Crowder into the starting lineup would obviously change the energy, I would think. Yeah, and with Covington, I mean, the he, he makes sense a lot of places, but it's who's going to bend over backwards to, to bring him in. And, that, and that's a real yeah. challenge to to kind of piece that together. And for Portland's perspective... Is it worth it to move him if the return is that tepid? And so yeah. there there will be – basically there's going to be movement on one side or the other, but we just don't know which one it is. And that's the, also the nature of you know trade negotiations often don't make it into the public eye. And so I, I, I could imagine the Blazers being interested once they have a new decision maker installed in some of these consequences. But it's also – 
it's not an all or nothing proposition for the Blazers, but it is a circumstance where going, you know, a half measure actually, unless it's the right, unless the trades are really good in their specific things, leads to a worse outcome than either of the others because then yeah, you're frustrated. You're frustrating Willard. You're doing that. So you kind of have to treat these as connected, but also understanding that you need to make sure that the individual pieces make sense. So if if you don't have strong enough offers on CJ, then you're probably not going to make a CJ trade. And then theoretically, that makes a Nurkic or a Covington deal less palatable. And the problem with all of this is that say that you do decide to go future centric with some of these deals, Damian Lillard's probably not happy with that. And then you probably end up losing Dame. So you can't really go future centric with these deals. You have to go um, almost just like shake up deals more than anything like that. That's more what I'm kind of wondering, like, is there a shakeup deal for Portland that could just, like, change the energy of their situation uh, more than, like, them going out and trying to substantially change their uh, their direction? Because I think a deal like that probably happens in the summer. And frankly, I think it probably involves Damian Lillard, you know, m- making a choice that Portland fans may not be happy with but that's the only way the direction substantively changes is if Damian Lillard says okay you know send me to what Stephen A. Smith has continued to say is his you know favorite destination the New York Knicks right like send me to Philadelphia send me to X Y and Z Uh, otherwise like you're you're still trying to win because you have Damian Lillard and it's hard to formulate deals when that's the case it is, and there. I mean, and the, the other reason that would probably push things is that typically, historically, moves involving star players, it stars for younger players and draft picks, and so then yep. that then the bottom comes out enough that you can get. And you know, you and I think could think about this in a variety of them. But one of them is like the Anthony Davis trade, or even going back to the Chris Paul trade, which led to the the I believe they were the Hornets then getting Ed, which is. If you really want to build the next great Blazers team, meaning not involving their current guys, it's almost definitely going to involve at some point being bad enough to get some real draft equity. And honestly, that's not going to happen when Damian Lillard is available. He's too good. Even in this limited form, Damian Lillard right now, 53% true shooting on 28 usage. And that's still, he's still a great enough player that you're not going to be that level of team. My bet here is that the Blazers do make some sort of shakeup trade, but that they do not substantively change the direction of the organization and that they continue to try and win with Damian Lillard throughout the course of this season and then maybe make a move next season or in the offseason, I'm sorry, uh, if it's decided that that's the route to go. But... I don't know, man. It's uh, I mean, the Blazers we, are in a tough spot. Could we see this what? being similar to um, a situation that Robert Covington was involved in previously, which was the Houston Rockets didn't move James Harden in that offseason, but they made a couple of trades, including Neil O'Shea offering those first-round picks for Covington, where it was yeah. like, okay, we're moving in that direction, whether you're with us or not, and we expect that you will eventually want the same thing. 
Maybe, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, the Houston situation ended with James Harden being dealt. It did. So <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, not an outcome that I think that Portland wants or that their fan base wants. But we will see. Um, let's go to the rest of the West real quick. I, look, my guess on Portland, I'll just close it on this. My guess on Portland is that they try to shake it up with like a little deal, but don't do anything substantive until the offseason, I think is where I'm sitting on it. Uh, we'll see where it goes. Let's uh, let's talk about the rest of the West for you know 15 minutes here before we go. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN. If you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Like I said, there are four teams right now with a winning record in the West. And that feels like a very big difference in regard to the way that this conference has worked over the course of the last, you know, let's say, you know, what, six years, 10 years, maybe even. The, the West has been the better conference for uh, this era of NBA basketball, I would say. And this finally feels like a bit of a sea change in regard to which conference looks a bit better. 
why do we think this has occurred? Is it simply injuries? Is it simply, um, you know, some movement of players going to the East? DeMar DeRozan, you know, goes from the West to the East and creates a Chicago team in part with his addition that has become a legitimate contender in the East. Is it, uh, what, what do you point to and say that, you know, this conference is finally, the East has finally become a better league? Injuries are a big part of the equation. I mean, we came into the season with Kawhi Leonard and Jamal Murray out for the year, and both of those teams would be looking significantly more dangerous right now if those players were available, and they're not. Yep. And so that that you know, if we're, if we're like, I, I when we talk about draft classes, sometimes we talk about. I like to think of it in terms of stars, starters, and scrubs, and so yep. or star, sorry, star starters, rotation players. So the the West right now. It doesn't have the same star level teams that we expected. But I mean, the Suns, Jazz, and Warriors are all really good. So, yes. in in kind of normal West vintage, we would expect to have one more team in that fifty to fifty five win range, and that could have been the Clippers if they were healthy. The Lakers have been a massive disappointment so far. Some of that is availability. Some of that is just like the Blazers; their stars haven't played well, and so they can yeah. do that. But I would say the bigger story. And this is what is so fascinating about the West right now is that starter level of teams. So the forty-five win, they're not necessarily going to make the most noise in the playoffs, but they're dangerous. They could on on a, on a normal night they're going to beat teams. And this iteration of the West just doesn't have as many. Now I think the Nuggets, when they're more available, I think that they kind of fit that bill. Dallas has been so hit or miss so far this year. This is where I thought the Blazers were going to be. The Clippers are there. And then, I mean, right now, the Lakers haven't even been that level of team, though I expect them to be as they kind of overall write the ship at least a little bit. Yeah, there's so, really only one team in the West, I think, that fits the bill of what you're talking about. And it's Memphis. Like, Memphis is just wholly competent across the board. Uh, they play a brand of basketball that makes sense. They have John Morant, who has turned into a star. Uh, Obviously, he's missed the last few games here, but uh, he is legitimately a top 15 player in the league right now when healthy. Uh, Jaron Jackson has taken a pretty real leap offensively. Like They they are, to me, they play a brand of basketball that makes sense. They have depth. They have a legitimate star in John Morant, and they have a burgeoning one in Jaron Jackson, who has started to figure some things out. They're the team that most fits the billing of what you're talking about, I think. Yeah, and I would say that Denver, when Jokic is available, they pretty clearly do. I mean, he, the, their, yeah. their yeah. offensive firepower with him is enough. And defensively, they've, they've been better when they've been available. But, I mean, not only is Jamal Murray out, but also now Michael Porter Jr., disappointingly, is, is dealing with back surgery. So they're not going to be at, at full strength. And then the Lakers should be here. I mean, they're, they haven't been so far, and you don't want to— well, they, they should even be above this, yes. right? Oh, like oh, they, yeah, they for should sure. be in the top tier. Yeah, they should be in the top tier, and so and those are the types of things that could also like kind of you you think about well, what has the team been so far versus what they could be, and so they're like if, if teams like the Lakers played more to expectations, I think we'd be having a different conversation. And I mean, the top is you know the Suns, Jazz, and Warriors have all been great, so you have, you have that going there. And then the other frustration, I guess, is the way to put it, is that. The others haven't really stepped up. So the Wolves have had more moments of competence than, the, to me, the Spurs, the Pels, the Kings, the Rockets, and the Thunder. But they're are, being... are, you, are you on my Wolves top six bandwagon, Danny? Come on. No, no, I'm not, on your, I'm not on your Wolves top six bandwagon. <laughs> but 
They've been the best of that group so far. And, I mean, Anthony Edwards has, has had some really impressive moments. Carl Anthony Towns has been a monster. You know, he's been the second or third best center in the NBA this year. And yeah. and so having And they have a top many, five defense. Yeah, I mean, for now. Um, that Having that many teams that are trying to figure it out or just aren't figuring it out. You know, the Kings have already fired their coach. The Rockets and Thunder just are not good enough. The Spurs probably are not good enough as well. Though they did have that win on Saturday against the Warriors, and so that, that was like just a pure schedule loss well, for yeah, the Warriors. I thought most yeah. mostly yes, and they the Spurs have played the Warriors well, especially Dejounte over the last couple of years. Just they've they've done yeah. they've done some good things, but in terms of like oh they turned a quarter, they figured it out. No, I'm not I'm not there yet on San Antonio. So I, I love the team. I love the long term outlook. I agree with you for this year, though. But so if let's say it's you have and and then the Pelicans, you know they've already missed Zion for. 25 games of the season and that's going to extend we don't know how far it's going to extend but it's going to extend longer than that and and they're not a viable team without him and i'm not even sure they're how where they would have been with him and so if you have let's call it five teams in the west that i'm not going to say they don't have a shot at making the play in but like that they don't they don't really you don't see a clear path to making noise and that's why the wolves stand out because i think the wolves have have more of a chance there than like the pals and the kings and the rocks the thunder and the spurs so that's a lot and yeah, that was something that stuck out about the East this year going into the season was there were so many teams that were at least trying. Now, you knew not everybody was going to succeed, but that were at least trying. And you could bring up, you know, the Pacers and then the Cavs have been significantly better than I expected. Yeah. And then the Knicks and the Raptors. And so there weren't as many teams that were, weren't like were just totally out of it. And as it would happen in the East, a lot I would say a lot of those teams on the margins have done better than those teams in the West. And so it yeah. looks it looks like a more cohesive picture overall. And for for the West, I, I think that how it sorts out is that some of these talented teams that have not yet figured it out will. And some of the weaker ones will probably look a little bit better. Like maybe there will be a Cleveland in the West mids. I don't know who that is. Probably Minnesota. That's what anybody. I'm struggling with. Like I think it, I think the Cleveland in the West midst is Minnesota, which is why I'm like jumping in on top six Minnesota, Danny. It's coming. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, but no, what, what I'm struggling with is just like, okay, we think the Lakers are going to figure it out at some point, right? So that's going to be the fourth team among Utah, Phoenix, and Golden State with the Lakers, right? I feel pretty good about Memphis staying at least competent on some level. And I think, I think <laughs> that Dallas and Luka Doncic will be fine. I also can't guarantee you that they make the playoffs just because of the Jason Kidd of it all and them. By let's the way, even just how, like, how massive a disappointment would that be? Well, let, let's even just like separate the quality of Jason Kidd as a coach, which I do not think is high. L- let's just say that like they are clearly running an entirely different scheme they're clearly doing things drastically different it might take a year for them to figure it out which you don't want that to happen that's why the hire i think was silly to begin with but let's say that that is a real reason why uh they could fall to number seven right uh memphis in general like i like memphis 
Memphis, like, isn't a playoff team, like, guaranteed, right? Like, they're in the same boat as Minnesota at the end of the day, I think. Like, they have a legit star player. Minnesota has Carl Towns, and uh, Memphis has Ja Morant. I would probably take Ja over Carl Towns, but, you know, that that's where we are at this point. Uh you know, both of them have a burgeoning star in Anthony Edwards and Jaron Jackson Jr. And then they have a lot of depth pieces, guys that are energy guys, guys that uh, make a lot of sense on winning rosters, in my opinion. You know, a Jaden McDaniels, uh, you know, a Jared Vanderbilt, who I think has been really good this year. Like, and then on Memphis' side, obviously, Desmond Bain, uh, guys like DeAnthony Melton, Tyce Jones, etc. So, look, I think I would, I would take Memphis over Minnesota, but... I don't know. This is why I keep coming back to like Minnesota is like a top six. I mean, Denver doesn't really have the backcourt firepower right now. Portland looks like a mess. Dallas looks kind of like a mess. And then there's that like bottom five there. Do we think the Clippers can get into this? Like maybe Yeah, I think Paul George can. has been great. They've been great defensively this year as well. Like I, to me like that, that like Five, let's say, let's throw the Lakers into that top tier because I think at some point they will be there. Like, I I don't have much concern. Uh, Let me rephrase. Uh, I think the Lakers will be there at some point where they're in that top four mixture. Uh, They might be the clear four, but I think they will get there. The five through 10 range in the West, I think is a total jumble that could go any different direction. Like literally... We could end up with Minnesota at five. We could end up with them at 10. We could end up with Dallas at five. I would say we could end up with them at eight, maybe. We could end up with Memphis at five. We could end up with Memphis at nine. Uh, Denver could end up at four, even, I think. And they could end up at nine if Nikola Jokic ends up getting hurt and missing 15 games, right? So... I just don't know what to do with the Western Conference is where I'm at. Like... it's such a mess. It's that middle tier is just not nearly as good, I think, as what it's been in the past. I agree. And it's frustrating because I would say there are more teams that we expected more from. And like that's the reason it's a jumble. The Lakers head of that table, the Nuggets has been partially availability. And yep. Dallas, you know, like those those And Portland. Yeah, in Portland too. Yeah, I think those are those are all teams. And then Memphis has been competent, and they've. It's weird how they've. I remember last year it was like Taylor Jenkins. They they did well without John Morant. They're doing, and we don't know how long they're going to be without John Morant for now. But I mean yeah. that it is it is going to be hard over time to to manage that. But yeah. we'll we'll see. And so I, I agree with you. I think that it is a real point of frustration in the West, and also that. Yeah, Minnesota, I think, has taken some real steps forward, but they're, I don't see them as necessarily the same as Cleveland where you, you see it as, okay, that's where they're going from here. Like, as Partially, that's also Minnesota's complicated books and everything else. Um, but it it is a real point of frustration because we're seeing... I, this is it is not going to look like this moving forward, but we're kind of seeing a, a change in the West where like some of these yeah. teams that have been consistently competitive are a little bit less competitive. Like Portland, we both feel is going to go that direction at some point, whether it's this year or in the future. Right. And so far, nobody's really rising to meet it. Now, Dallas, I thought well, I was hoping that they could rise into the higher tiers. They haven't done that. 
Denver is in a different situation. I, I'm, willing to, I'm willing to throw that. And they've had playoff success in a way that Dallas has not, partially due to right. who they faced and when. But yeah, I mean, imagine that the, the field is so much more open for a New Orleans, for a Sacramento, for a San Antonio to really not necessarily like win a playoff series or anything like that, but be like, oh, give them so, give the organization some real confidence in the future. And we know that talent is important, and like that's part of why I thought that the Blazers going full circle, their conference finals run was a little bit of fool's gold because they were never that good. But at an earlier stage in the process, being able to exceed expectations can be a real positive because it gets guys to buy yeah. in. It can give them it can give them valuable experience, and also it can give ownership some optimism. So then you can not necessarily like put the cart before the horse, but just be a little bit more aggressive. And so there are a bunch of teams where any good news could be really positive and have these ripple effects throughout the organization, and they're just not having it. Okay, real quick, let's finish with a buy and sell kind of thing. Okay. Where I'm going to list off the six or seven teams that are in that jumble in the West. And you're going to say, based off of what we've seen so far, do you believe in them being better or worse than the around 500 record they have right now? Okay. Uh, in, In terms of where you think they're going to land at the end of the season. Let's start with the Lakers. Do you uh, buy or sell the Lakers uh, as a legitimate, you know, potential top six seed? Buy it, though less enthusiastically than I would have ever expected going into this season. Yeah, I thought they were going to be really good as a regular season team, and it just hasn't quite translated all that well yet. Uh, Okay, the Denver Nuggets. Buy. I, I, Jokic is a monster. I think that he can when he's when he's available for a higher proportion of the season, they'll be fine on offense. And they're defensively, they've been better overall. Yeah, they've been really bad defensively over the last like twelve games, but they've yes. been they were really good to start the season defensively. I think they can probably get back get that back. Uh, I really trust Michael Malone. I trust their institutional knowledge. I think I would say like hold like if like I would say that they're gonna be like. 44 I mean, and 38, like the, 43 the and 39. The absences that they're dealing with right now yeah. is also a very practical a very practical consideration. I mean, you have MPJ and Dozier. I, I think both those guys are presumably out for the year. Jamal Murray's going to be out for yeah. a while. And then they also have all the intermediate absences with guys like Austin Rivers. So that's – it's a real challenge. Yeah. Yeah, I would say like right around like 43 and 39 for Denver. Like winning record – don't really want to play them night in, night out because Jokic is so good and just is so, you know, competent on so many levels and is one of the best players in the NBA. He gives them that competency level. But yeah. Uh, okay. The Dallas Mavericks. Oh, boy. I mean. Well, I'm I'll gonna... go first here. So I, I, I would say, again, like if I could go like hold in the middle, like I think they're again going to be like 43 and 39. Hold is reasonable. I, I and if I had to choose between buy or sell, I would buy just because I think Luca is one of the best players in the league, and he has to be better than he has been so far. And so that can help. And a lot of a lot of Mavericks are below their usual standard right now. Hardaway Jr. has been brutal offensively to start the year. Reggie Bullock can't hit a shot, and some of those things will, will be better. And so if I had to go one way, I would go I would go buy, but. Hold does feel hold feels right when I've watched the Mavericks. 
Yeah, like, I, I kind of said this on the last podcast, but, like, when when you watch the Mavericks, do you look at that situation and go, this feels like it's working? This no. feels like it makes sense? Like, no, I, I, I don't, don't at all. And, it, I mean, going back to kid when he was in Milwaukee, my biggest criticism was that he, I didn't think he tailored his scheme to the talent that he had. And I think some of that has been true. I think it's been getting better in Dallas, but those criticisms have have borne out to some extent in the early going. And, and like, they're taking a lot of threes. Like, they're fifth in the NBA right now in three-point attempt rate. But it doesn't feel like those threes are as open, does it? No, it doesn't. Like, it feels like they're generating threes because that's what they're used to doing. But they aren't generating as many open threes to me whenever I watch the offense. So, yeah, I, I think, again, like 43-39, like something like that. Like a, a winning record, but I don't know. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers. I think in some ways they're a closer call than these other ones just because, as you mentioned, defensively they've been doing well. And their, yeah. I think their offensive ceiling isn't super-duper high. So I will go... I will go hold on them, and there is a possibility, even though I've been a Clippers optimist so much for the recent time, that I'll sell because they run into a, they've also dealt with a bunch of injuries already. But when a team is more of an ensemble cast, the Pacers have been dealing with this with TJ Warren being out. Absences of less talented players can be felt a lot because you just need everybody to be right. And that could be a real challenge for them. So I'm going to hold, but Cell is, Cell is blinking in my background. Yeah, I think that right where they are right now, right around 500, they're 12 and 12. Um, they have a top five defense and a bottom five offense. <laughs> I think that's exactly where it ends. Uh, so like 41 and 41, top five defense, you know, bottom six or seven offense at the end of the day. Uh my dear, sweet Minnesota Timberwolves, Danny. I'm going to sell. I know that's. I know that hurts your heart, but Minnesota opponents are shooting 32% from three so far this year, and generally speaking, defenses can't do too much to control how much they actually make them. So you expect a regression to the mean there, which would mean their defense would take a step back. And there are reasons to be optimistic. I mean, there, there are reasons to be optimistic with the Wolves, but this... Basically, to me, when I and, and yes, there are reasons to believe that their defense is meaningfully better than it has been previously. Yeah. But when when something looks off, and there are op- options like that, and you know the Wolves are have been terrible on the defensive glass, they're still fouling a ton. If I had to guess which way it's going to go, I think they could be better offensively than they've been. But I think there's more of a regression defensively. So I'll go sell. Bye. Of course. Bye, Danny. Bye. This is this is a Timberwolves. This is, this is going to become a Minnesota Timberwolves podcast by the end of the year because I just enjoy watching them so much. Really, I, I like the way they scramble defensively. I think their communication is really good. Uh, and I think that, like you said, they have – like, I think that this is a top 10 defense. Like, I will say that. Like, I think they legitimately operate and look as if they are cohesive enough to have a top 10 defense in addition to having, like, really high-level defenders like Jared Vanderbilt, Jaden McDaniels. Patrick Beverly, you know, guys like that are really plus defenders. And uh, Anthony Edwards has been better defensively, like, 
he still gets a bit lost off the ball, but on the ball, he is a genuinely high level defender who has been engaged throughout the course of this year and really seems to put uh, an impetus and an emphasis, I'm sorry, uh, on that side of the court. Mm hmm. Offensively, I think they still have some room for growth. I'm I'm gonna buy. I think they win 45. That's what I'm saying. Wow. I think that they win right around 45, and I'm losing my mind. Uh, okay, the Portland Trailblazers. I'm gonna buy. I think. Yeah, that I get that. They're so it's in some ways it's similar to the Lakers, where one of the reasons the Blazers have been below our expectations is because their best players haven't played well, and yeah, I haven't seen. Too much, you know, Lillard's the the ab injury and a couple other things notwithstanding. I haven't seen anything to make me think, oh, these guys just they aren't they aren't good anymore. Like that, and that. So generally, if you expect them to get to something close to their usual standard, that's going to get this offense pretty close to to supernova levels. And defensively, they can't really be worse. They don't necessarily have to be better, but they 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 can't really be worse. And so that leads to. You know, maybe they're a plus, you know, if we talk about this in terms of net rating, maybe the Blazers are a plus one and a half, plus two team. Well, a plus one and a half, plus two team is going to be pretty fine in the West. I I sell them making the playoffs. I think they're a playing team. Look, they're 11 and 13. Their net rating is 24th in the NBA right now. Uh, do I sell the or do I buy them being better than the 24th best team in the NBA? I do. Um, so like based on the standard they've shown so far, I buy, but based on like the standard against the rest of the West, I sell. Uh, do we really think that this is a top five? Like they're a top five offense without Damian Lillard playing well right now. Do we think that they're going to leap into being like, a top one offense in the league? Like, do we think this can be like a top three offense? I, I, I don't. Think so. I think so. I mean, they they I'm, have a lot of they have a lot of talent. I mean, they were second last year. Yeah. So the Bla- the Blazers true. have been they were so in eighteen nineteen they were fourth then they were third then they were second last year. So I think it's possible. Yeah. You're right. And remember this You're is a, remember right. this is a lower offense environment. I mean, it's it's improving, but that's it, you know that's that's where this they can. They could improve and actually be. They could improve a little bit from where they've been and be way better relative to the league, even if you know things get closer to normal over the course of the season. But like, I don't see this changing from anything other than them being like a top, let's say, top six offense and bottom six defense. Yeah, I agree. But I, I think that they can be. So like last year. They they had a plus two point four cleaning the glass net rating. I think they can be a little bit worse than that the rest of this year, and that seems pretty reasonable. Okay, uh, the the last team here, I do just kind of love the Spurs. Like I, I sell them against the rest of the West, but I love the Spurs. Well, I, I love the way um, my podcast partner Nate Duncan put this rec- or put this earlier in the season, which is that the Spurs are just good enough to lose, like to lose off. Whereas, like, I, I love their defense, and I think that they have they they have the talent to make every team sweat, but they also just don't have the offensive firepower to win enough to like yeah. make some real noise. I, I I there's a part of me that enjoys watching them, but Yaka Pertle's growth has been has been a real joy for me. I, I love center play, which has been 
one of the frustrations with you know I I'm at times I lament where the league is going, but it also leads to a watchable product. But San Antonio just I don't think they have the juice offensively, and what we've seen in the league is that teams without the offensive viability, it's just hard to be that dangerous, just as a practical yeah. consideration. And so San Antonio, I get a lot of flack from Raptors fans for talking about how like I think a lot of their players would make more sense on other teams than they do together. I think that same story is partially true with the Spurs, but their guys just aren't as good. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that totally. Uh, the last team here, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Or not the Minnesota Timberwolves, <laughs> Memphis Grizzlies, I'm sorry. Oh, but I have Timberwolves I'm, on the brain. We love the Timberwolves here. Um, the Grizzlies by, I think, Taylor Jenkins is a good coach. I think John Morant is a star, and whenever he is available again, they will be good offensively. And, yes, Memphis has been a disaster overall defensively. They're now all the way up to 27th. Um, including that that demolition that they had to the Thunder, where you know the garbage time filters can only filter out the fourth quarter, so they're not going to do the whole thing. So, I, I, but I think they're I think they're a a, re- a reasonably deep team. I think they're a well coached team. I I think they're you know they're in that forty to forty five win range, and I'd love for them to be better than that. But I I think they are that team. I think they're in the forty to forty five win range. I sell them being the four seed, which is what they are right now. Uh, I, I don't necessarily see that. Um, this is a team that still has a negative net rating, even after the uh, insane blowout of the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is kind of crazy to me, to be honest, that they're 13 and 10. They've beaten a team by 73 points and still have a negative net rating. Um, so the, part of me wants to sell this a little bit, but... Like, I sell what they've been so far, but I buy them being either, like, the 6, 7, or 8 seed, for sure. Like, I think this team is really good. And they are wholly competent. When you watch them, they make sense. Like, that's the best compliment I can give. Like, when you watch Dallas, what Dallas does does not make sense to me. When you watch Memphis, everything just makes sense. It looks coherent. It looks like they enjoy playing with one another. Um, It looks like they enjoy being around one another. Uh, They aren't great defensively, but they don't have a great defensive roster, in my opinion. So that's like not wholly shocking. Although they have gotten better uh, since Dylan Brooks has uh, been full-time back in the lineup. I think that's actually been a pretty substantial reason for the leap. I don't know. I... uh it's essentially a hold for me, but I guess it's a sell from where they are currently. Mm. Okay. Danny, I kept you like 15 minutes longer than I wanted to, as we always do here. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Oh, there are a lot of places you can find my work. I mean, audio, dunked on, dunked on Prime, Nate and I going five times a week. Um, do we're, I'm actually about to record a 15 and 60 on the Western Conference, so that should be out for people Sunday, Monday, depending on when you listen to podcasts. Also, Mondays, Nate and I do the NBA cast, which is us calling a game on League Pass. You can watch the game and listen to our commentary. It's so much fun. We'll be do So you can do that every Monday. We're doing Denver, Chicago this week, so I'm really looking forward to that. And then my written work is at The Athletic, and I have a couple pieces that are in the works right now. Um, nothing that is in the like the editorial stage, but you can keep an eye out there and follow me at Daniel Rowe on Twitter to find out what's going on. Danny is one of my favorite people in the basketball business, just a terrific human being and terrific at writing and talking about the NBA. Uh, please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. 
The biggest thing you can do right now, though, for the Game Theory Podcast, please go subscribe to that YouTube channel. You can go watch Danny and I's lovely faces talking about the Western Conference right now. Uh, There will be some clips of this show up. Please just go subscribe to that YouTube channel. Until next time, though, we'll talk soon. Bye.